we we had a, a minor COVID scare in the house. Uh, not me, but thankfully it turned out it was just a cold. Uh, as I try not to hit my mic, uh, it turned out it was just a cold. So thankfully, all all of us are done isolating one of our family members and and wearing masks. And although we we were pretty stringent about it all. And, it, it, you know, it gave us a chance to try out the free COVID tests we got from uh, federal government. So, which Good. I should note, uh, the first batch came early, just in time for Valentine's Day. And the second batch was even quicker. So it was one of those things where whatever weird situation with people's COVID tests and getting them in the mail, uh, the free COVID tests that they can use at home. It, it, you know, it must just be because of the fact that first you had a, a pretty big wave of people getting them and then you had a second wave that was probably a huge reduction in size by, I would guess, maybe three quarters less. Uh, yeah. Just because apparently there's so many in like in uh, in storage right now and they're all going to expire by summer. Jesus so. Christ. Just in time now, we got the the surge supposedly happening. Uh, I guess we might as well dive into yeah, nice the various segue. topics. Yeah, I mean, it's like a topic that will never die. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. you know, fun or not, but it really isn't. Uh, we have another variant. You know, I've, I've admittedly had to do some reading because it's the kind of thing where, again, you know, I don't want to talk about COVID fatigue because there is fatigue about talking about COVID fatigue, but really... Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's time to pay attention again because the BA2 variant, if I'm saying that correctly, mm-hmm. is out. Um, I believe it's like eight, upwards of 80% of cases in some places. Out here in Boston, that's what it is. And then today the government uh, reinst- uh, extends the mask mandate for travel. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then um, maybe quietly or maybe not quietly, maybe I wasn't paying attention, um, extends the national emergency making the what the free testing the free vaccines and treatment uh, extend for three more months which is another scary thought because in all this mix i didn't realize that it was well one getting extended for a couple months but two um by the summer all this stuff will cost money so yeah um, lots of scary COVID updates and i hate to say it and you know worry about it so much but it is worrisome very much so. Uh, I mean, it goes back to what, what's been said for at least well over a year now, which is we may be done with COVID, but COVID's not done with us. I mean, as as exhausting as it is dealing with a pandemic that has no end in sight, there is that frustration that even I'm, I'm starting to see even amongst those who are very favorable towards folks like uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who... You know, listen to him. He did an interview very recently where he was talking about how people need to take their use, take their own calculations on protection and wearing masks. And it's there's a slight irony given. It does echo a lot of what we heard during Trump's last year about, you know, everyone's just got to do their own thing. And it is what it is, his words. And now that's kind of become the name of the game. Again, it's discouraging and it's frustrating that 
we're essentially, you know, doing the, the Einstein definition of insanity, repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And at this rate, it's just hoping that cases keep going down. Obviously, almost doesn't mean anything if you see that cases are low because there is an underreporting of cases, number one. And number two, there's a lot of people that are getting sick. And this really ties into the same thing. So it's not really a number one and number two. But you know, a lot of people that aren't even necessarily reporting that they are getting sick with COVID. With that underreporting, things look better than they maybe are, question mark. So it's the feeling it'll never end, which, I mean, let's face it, it's going to be endemic. It, there's no escaping that. It's just about getting on with our lives and yeah. trying to scrounge up something better out of it all. Yeah, I saw that um, Fauci was speaking somewhere. He must be the busiest guy in the world right now. And he you know, said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this. I don't know what's going to happen with the spike or how long this will last. But yeah, I guess we've, I don't know if we've all grown kind of apathetic to it. I know there's a lot of people cheering for the end of the pandemic. Even with today's mask mandate extension, I was reading that union workers were wanted the mask mandate to go away because of violence on planes. So <laughs> the pandemic, it's almost the opposition uh, to, well, <laughs> the society's, uh, you know, craving for the pandemic to end. Um, or, you know, not be acknowledged. It's interesting how to see how it's come full circle where, um, you know, I can't speak to the transportation union stance on COVID and mask, uh, you know, in March 2021, or March 2020. But it is crazy to see that we're at the point where um, of this pandemic, this ever shifting pandemic where you have anti-maskers agreeing with maskers to like reinstate or no, sorry, remove the mandate. For certain reasons, um, I think I said this on the, my first episode where I was like, um, you know, it's the mask fatigue. I, I'm all for safety and, you know, I do still get nervous in big crowded places. But at the same time, I'm also getting tired of putting my mask on every time I go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's a, you know, even if there's like one person in the whole store, it doesn't matter. It's a, a big place. So, yeah. And transportation, of course, riding the subway, riding the train. It's like right in your face. So. Um, I think it's just uh, discouraging because it's just going to fuel that wave of uh, COVID denial, uh, mask rejection. Um, who knows how this bad the surge is going to be, but I'm just kind of already preemptively disappointed that it's going to fuel the anti-maskers and the anti-vaccination crowd even more. And now we have people more people getting on board so it's frustrating mm -hmm. as well trying trying to not get too political here but you factor in the midterms right around the corner and whatever return to the covid restrictions that we're used to and and frankly i've been in favor of consistently throughout the pandemic any return to that is certainly going to be hindered and likely even more so after next November, you know, if, if all projections are to be believed that this is going to be a shellacking, the likes of which we haven't seen, to borrow a term from Barack Obama, a shellacking, the likes of which we haven't seen in 12 years. It, it just kind of makes you wonder what the pandemic's going to be like in a year's time when, and it's, this is really, this is really what's going to age the pandemic in terms of making everybody feel older 
than they really are. It's likely still going to be an issue next year. And next year is the start of the 2024 election cycle. Yeah, we were talking about this in the previous election cycle. Like It's, you know, oh, it's going to be just like me just saying that I I feel crushed just saying that because I'm like, oh, God, it's coming. It's on its way. Yeah. And then you then you you start getting secondhand anxiety of, oh, what's it going to be? What's the surge going to look like in a, well, Republican, you know, controlled branch of government? We've seen that before, but it's just going to it's just going to raise all those anxieties again when you're. Uh, legislators when your lawmakers don't care about it and aren't going to speak up for you don't have the power to fight for you so uh, for you know I see something like the funding government funding for free testing and free uh, vaccinations and certain treatments mm-hmm. right away and then it just you know if then you think oh god the midterms are coming up what if republicans just win and shut all this down it's it just starts bringing it's like an anxiety avalanche so um, again, uh, and what a way to open the episode. Uh, this I don't wouldn't call this fear mongering. It's reality, but um, it is a very scary slope to start thinking about all this. But it is very real, and um, and with all the craziness in the world, I feel like it's taken such a backdoor. I I mean I myself have again this tired conversation. I myself have <laughs> muted COVID topics, but uh, it seems like a lot of people have muted them too. So. Uh, yeah, the, the unknown. On top of all that, uh, in terms of what the midterm elections have to offer and the potential for uh, Republicans to not only reclaim the House and the Senate, there's also the chance that a Republican could claim the seat of Los Angeles mayor. Growing up, you know, I think the last the last mayor that I remember being that I, well, I don't remember if James Hahn was like a super liberal democratic mayor, but I was too young to really understand the impact of, you know, his political affiliation. But mm-hmm. it would be mind blowing if, you know, listeners, if you're familiar with the billionaire developer who is paying his way to be mayor, um, well, according to reports. And um, that's another kind of, when I say the world is ending, it's, everything's going crazy. Uh, you have basically um, a mini Trump in terms of just his you know, financial stature and developer. Um, it's insane to see that in Los Angeles, somebody like that can rise. So if you are worried about the midterms, look in your own backyard. Um, billionaire developers are paying their way like they do for a lot of other things to the mayoral seat. So uh, that's another point of anxiety. The the last Republican mayor of Los Angeles was Richard Riordan. Riordan? Riordan? Yeah. I believe it's um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's like parks named after him where I live. Anyway. Such a um, there. Like he has like a bar next to Staples Center. Apparently he was a cool guy. <laughs> I have a picture somewhere in my mom's house <laughs> with him. So <laughs> he, he was a chummy guy. Maybe, you know, but I didn't realize he was a Republican. But, uh, yeah, uh, Rick Caruso is proving to be uh, basically be a, a very serious contender for for Los Angeles mayor, uh, and I think I believe he's at least one percentage point ahead of Karen Bass, who for a while it was appearing like this would be a slam dunk for her. It really does make you think. Brief side note: what a different race this would have been had she been because she was 
considered to be vice president under Joe Biden. Like, I, I kept thinking that when the other week when we went to the Frida immersive show and we drove by one of her congressional offices and I was just kind of curious about it, thinking like, wow, what what a weird race this could have been had she not been running. And the s- strange reality of it is that even with her running, there's this odd potential for for somebody to really shake up the race and you know, you could argue scare people into voting for her. Yeah, if, the if the recall has taught us anything. Yeah, and the interesting thing also is that she has not apparently had any TV ads, radio ads, anything like that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Peru says nine million plus in spending, so that's also really interesting. Fascinated to see what the outcome is. Obviously, there's you know, voting. Nobody where I live gets to vote for LA mayor. But it'll certainly be wild to see what what eventually happens come the primary. I don't know if there was any other notable, anything else notable with the mayor's race that you wanted to talk about. Well, I think just the fact that you have a candidate who is buying their way is just like, this is the way the world works. It's not shocking, but it's still frustrating to see if you're familiar. I believe he's the guy behind the Americana, the outdoor mall in Glendale. Mm-hmm. And, and the that- Grove. Yeah, so it's like, um, I'm really curious, you know, the supporters, I'm sure, you know, he's a billionaire developer, so you can imagine his uh, his base. But at the same time, I'd imagine that there's a lot of people who, you know, grew up near going to the Americana, like I did, or the Grove, and think, hey, this guy was in a weird way, you know, part of my childhood or growing up, you know, uh, I know this guy, I'll, I'll trust him. And uh, it's crazy how he's just writing a brand like that. I'm curious. I haven't really seen the perspective of Angelinos in this, you know, other than he's a rich guy, successful businessman. You think he knows what he's doing, but very curious. Like if he gets some benefit from that association. Part of his desire to run, and this is what I've heard from other news reports about him, it has largely been something of an out of nowhere concern on homelessness, the likes of which is often compared with Trump's obsession with immigration that eventually led to him becoming president. Because as much as immigration was a huge issue at that time, 2014, 2015, nobody was really able to capture it and speak frighteningly about it the way he did. Whereas with Caruso talking about homelessness, I mean, in a lot of ways, he sounds like a lot of other Los Angeles and Los Angeles County politicians when he talks about it. But I believe the initial scare that ultimately, I think, pushed him to running for, for the L.A. mayor's seat was homeless people basically getting closer and closer to being around uh, the Grove and the Americana. And just this idea of like, I can't have this here. I'm I'm going to run to stop it. That is very much the campaign he's running. And he has hit on those messages, not very subtly, in my opinion, of making it sound as though, and this is not necessarily quoting him verbatim, but it's certainly paraphrasing based on at least one campaign ad of his, one early campaign ad of his that I paid close attention to where he insinuates that he will make Los Angeles great again. <laughs> and you're just like, 
whoa, do you hear yourself? What? And of course, it was brought up in one of the debates that he's, you know, given money to the likes of Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. And if there's enough Democrats in Los Angeles that hear that and they spread that kind of word to other potential voters, maybe that'll ring in Angelino's ears to not vote for him. I don't know. You know, I, I also think that some of the appeal is saying he wants to handle homelessness, saying he wants to handle crime. It's a steady slope to dump those two topics together into being the same topic, which is not an appropriate way to address homelessness. Well, I guess, you know, not to get too slanted, but concerning. I mean, it's just like the same way if um, the outspoken L.A. County Sheriff, which we could devote an episode to at this rate, um, oh, yeah. you know, put his support behind Caruso, which uh, I haven't really followed. But, you know, when you said you saw like an ad, so I know like you, know, you want to be able to back home you wouldn't be able to vote for caruso but are they uh, they're still showing the ads up there right i mean it's just i guess just mm-hmm. market. yeah uh, i haven't seen any of his ads i don't know how <laughs> how they come off but uh you know that was kind of the other thing where that is just bugs me where it's just like yeah like you know in our <laughs> it's just you know that's how our system works you can just buy your way into it and you know gain visibility um I did see in some of the discussion about the upcoming debate at Cal State LA that um, there were some complaints that, you know, we should include all the candidates and that, um, I forget if it was Berkeley or the organizers behind the um, debate stat stage saying like, well, we choose the candidates based on polling. And uh, one of the factors also included like media coverage. So mm-hmm. um, it really just, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't, I haven't been paying attention too much to say that other candidates do or don't deserve to be on that stage. Uh, I, you know, but I can't say, but at the same time, uh, I know Caruso has also come out and said like, yeah, please join me. It's easy to say that when you're number one, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, nobody else has $9 million of their own dollars or fundraised dollars to buy their way up there. So it's just mind blowing. Well, and even up here, there have been I've seen squabbles on social media amongst, uh, you know, more further along the left and also more liberal activists, quote unquote, up here. And, and some, you know, legit activists as well who, uh, you know, have gone after each other in terms of the L.A. mayoral race, not even addressing Caruso, but addressing the other candidates that are, as of the latest polling, clearly not as popular. Um Namely, Kevin DeLeon, who last I checked, I want to say he was at like 6%. Yeah, wow, 6%. Yeah, I think you're Jeez. right. And uh, yeah, no one really is. It's not, it's like, it's uh, the two front runners and literally everybody else. But um, nobody else really, I, I guess if the primary is in June, mm-hmm. it is lunchtime. So it's, it, it can't dismiss them, but it just really looks like a two-person race. And and at this point, I think, and obviously it's probably the standard politicking slap. It's not even politicking. It's electioneering of maybe instead of you know going after a candidate that you find most popular, especially when they're not, consolidate. You know, it's that would be the best argument in terms of well, 
if it's clearly a two-person race and you know you don't want one person to run, consolidate, don't back somebody that's running at 6%. That's something that you would imagine Democrats would do, given that that's what they've done in the last two presidential elections. <laughs> but yeah. Like, yeah, pull a Beto. Yeah, like, like, you know, turn around and be like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Congresswoman Bass is actually polling pretty well. And she was considered to be vice president. And I'm an activist who thinks Joe Biden is the bee's knees. Maybe I should put my support behind her rather than behind KDL. And I'm not seeing that, surprisingly. Instead, I'm seeing people that are cheering on De Leon. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I see that and I'm wondering... As somebody with really no stake in the race, I'm just like, what are you, what are you doing? I do think, you know, and this is purely anecdotal, of course, but I do think that he did seem, or at least the media coverage, and I'm a fan of KTLA, but um, the media coverage of the last uh, debate, Kevin DeLeon seemed to take some shots at Caruso mm-hmm. pretty directly. Um, he he said he was pretty frank and pretty, um, pretty aloof i don't know what the word i'm trying to look for here exactly but he totally said to caruso like my resume is better than yours and you're jealous or i'm putting words in his mouth probably but he said some stuff that came off with that attitude and i it seems like maybe he has support because he seems like more of a stand-up guy against uh caruso not saying that bass isn't but it's just funny to see that uh, him react like that in the, in the in the debate, him act like that, and I'm curious if, you know, he has those like hardline liberals who are just like, yeah, we need, you know, he's not, he's he's no Bernie, or he's uh, you sir are no Bernie Sanders, but at the same time, it's uh, he was the only one that I at least saw in media coverage kind of attack Caruso so directly. So I wonder if there's some pull there. But I mean, we'll see. It it, it still has my attention. Uh, especially after a few years ago reading about Sam Yorty, who was the Democratic mayor back in the 60s. And wow, and and certainly not a Democrat by today's standards, Um, certainly a Democrat of the 60s, Dixiecrat ilk. You know, I, I would go I would go so far as to say he really he was like the Donald Trump of Los Angeles at that time. Um, so you don't exactly have parks named after him. No, 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 no. no.